Hello, my good friends, and welcome to another episode of The Lamar Show. Uh, so today's guest has had such a career. This one's a long episode, but justifiably so. I mean, his career from his humble beginnings to the heights of the music industry is really something else. It begins in Kenya, involves a priest, Chris Blackwell and Bob Marley, amongst others, and somehow reaches a pinnacle with Robbie Williams and Angels. A story of success and relationships and a perfect example of how to navigate not only the music industry, but life and the opportunities it gives you. His name's popped up in a few of my previous episodes. This week's guest is Tim Clark. Let's do it. Okay, Tim, thanks for joining me today. A pleasure. Yeah, you were saying, you were just about to say? I, I was saying that uh, I, I ran a little bit late this morning because I had to sing Happy Birthday to my grandson. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy okay. birthday. He's three years old. Ah. So me and my wife d- did a, a, a WhatsApp recording. Okay. And so we we stood there together, <laughs> and uh, my eldest daughter was filming us, and she said, one, two, three, and I set off, happy birthday. <laughs> and my, my, wife, my, my wife said, stop it, stop it. You're singing way too loud. I can't even hear myself. <laughs> so oh. this, is, this, is the message, this is the message my little grandson will be getting, me singing happy birthday and my wife yelling in my ear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, you know what? Um, I, 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 um, I pride myself on having a pretty good voice. A pretty good singing voice, I think. I'm, I think I'm one of the the, the better ones out there. Uh, however, when Definitely. it comes to when it comes to speaking, I, I there there is no competition. I have heard nobody in this country. Maybe there's an actor whose name I forget. Apart from that, there is no one with a voice that that compares to the voice of of Tim Clark. All right, it's 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 thunderous. It's like when God speaks, "Hello, I am summoning you. Come and do this for me." That's what it sounds like. It's amazing. I'm blushing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, uh, Tim, thank you so much for 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 doing this. It's a it's a pleasure. Mm. Um, I so I've spoken to quite a few a few people now, and it's uh it's been very educational. But your name has come up once or twice now. I didn't realize how long. So many people that I've interacted with have been in this music game. It's been crazy. Um, so, yeah, I thought, you know, you've told me one or two things along the way, but I thought, let me get a, a bit more of a, a thorough a story from the man himself, from the voice of God. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know where to begin. I, I know, I remember once I asked you about kind of how how you started, but there's there's something that really interested me because you said you started in Africa. Yeah. Is that where you were born? Yeah. Okay. So I was born in uh, in a in a little town. It was a little town then uh, called Kitali. Kitali. Kitali in Kenya. Nice. And uh, it was on the slopes of uh, Mount Elgin. Uh, Mount Elgin is is renowned as having the biggest base of any single mountain in the world. It is uh, so not a not a range of mountains. This is just one mountain one huge base one huge base it takes up an extraordinary area and it was a, a volcano of course uh, and it's um, on the edge of the rift valley uh, so i was born there uh, my parents were missionaries and nice. uh, so actually i was brought up in a fairly remote part of northern uganda uh, as i say my parents were missionaries and they 
first went out there in 1930. 1930. Yeah. So I, I, I suppose it's true to say that I'm a child of empire. Okay, yes. <laughs> you are. <laughs> with, all that, with all that that entails. Yeah. Um, but uh, my parents, I, I remember, this is a quick, a quick uh, aside here. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to Mozambique with, with Robbie. And we were going on behalf of UNICEF. This is Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams, yeah. I beg your pardon. Yes. And it was on behalf of UNICEF. Okay. And so we made this trip to, uh, uh, to, to uh, Mozambique. And uh, it was really to highlight the incredible impact that AIDS was having on that country. Yeah. Uh, and it was to raise funds for various hospitals and so on that were trying to tackle the problem. And, and of course, they had so few resources. And Mozambique was, and I probably still is, one of the poorest countries in the world. One of the poorest in the world? Yeah. So, uh, although I think they've just found oil, so maybe that might change. Be, maybe maybe <laughs> won't be poor that much poorer for too much longer. So um, we went to a refugee camp. It was very small area on sort of the only hill for miles and miles around. Okay, and it was the time of the great floods in Mozambique. Mozambique has four huge rivers that flow through it to the sea. And when there are rains inland, if those rivers burst their banks, it's like the sea has just come in. It, I mean, the floods were extraordinary. Um, at any rate, I saw a crowd, and I thought, oh, what, what's, what's happening over there? And uh, I went along and suddenly realized that it was a couple of Americans they were American evangelists. Oh, okay. And they were preaching hell and damnation. Oh, wow. Hell and damnation. At the refugee camp? At the refugee camp to these people who had nothing, oh, who had wow. lost everything. Oh. I couldn't believe it. I simply couldn't believe it. At any rate, yeah. the, the, point is, the point is that my parents actually uh, were... Church of England, if you like, yeah. but my parents uh, taught love. Yeah, they taught this is about humanity, yeah. and humanity has to be about loving, love. One, yeah. loving one another. Correct. And so um, that's that's really essentially how I was brought up. Okay, I, I was very lucky to have spent my childhood uh, in East Africa. I, yeah. I, I went to school in Kenya. I was very lucky to have spent my childhood in Africa because. Then the wildlife was just everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it was an exciting place to be. I, I love the people. Yeah. And my parents were very quickly accepted by the people. Yeah. Uh, and actually, my father became an elder of the tribe, nice. which was, you know, which was actually a, a real honor. Yeah. An extraordinary yeah. honor. Yeah. And so that upbringing had obviously a huge effect on my outlook on, on life. On life, yeah. I guess I came back uh, or came to England. I didn't come back to England. I came to England. I was going to say, so you had no, yeah, When you're, you're just about to say it. When did you come here for the first time? What age were you? 18. 
So you were in in Uganda and Uganda and Kenya. Uganda and Kenya. Yeah. I've been to Uganda. Actually, I've been no. I've been to Uganda once. That was very very nice actually. And so you were there for eighteen years. I was there for eighteen years straight. Yeah. yeah, we we came back for one holiday. I think to England in eighteen years. Uh, in eighteen years, yeah. Could you speak the language? I could speak Swahili. Oh man! And Karamajong. Oh whoa! And Karamajong, Karamajong. You see, with your voice, you would never, you never. You're like, I can speak Swahili, and it's like, no, you can't. You lie. <laughs> Say hello in Swahili. I'm Jumbo. Abariyako. Oh my! See, you can. He's not lying. I thought he was lying. He's not lying. I can. Uh, and in okay. Karamajong, it's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then, uh, and then. Uh, they so they say yeah and then they say Marta and and Marta is sort of how are you? Do you know how I know you can when you when you speak? This is the thing when English people try and do another another language, mm-hmm. where they fail is the the sounds. Mm-hmm. But you sound like a child of the empire. But then when you speak, you know, was it Swahili or you sound? It doesn't sound like an English person saying it. it just sounds like you're just saying the words. I like yeah. it. Depth, all well, this depth. It, <laughs> the wonderful thing, the wonderful thing about the Karamajong. Yeah, is that um, uh, is that uh, they started their uh, uh, their uh, uh, um, greeting okay. after saying yeah yeah. They started their greeting with Marta, which means how are you. Okay, and then they went on and said Marta ngatuk, which is how is your how are your cattle. Your cattle, yep, not your, your children, cattle. not your family. No, 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 no. <laughs> Mata ngatuk. Always. How? How are your cattle? cattle? Because if you don't have cattle, you can't feed your children. All right. So we're going to ask. We're going straight. We're going straight to the money here. How are the cattle? That's it. That's I it. like that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Real capitalists or capitalists. Cow- yeah, capitalists. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, eighteen, you land here. Mm. Apart from the one holiday, mm. did you? Was a whole family move? No. Me, just you. What just what, me. what made what made you make the decision to come back, or was it a decision? Well, I, I think I I think that um, it was clear that uh, to put it uh, bluntly, there were not really going to be any jobs for little white boys. Okay, in Kenya. yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And actually, I completely accepted that. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, I didn't have a skill set that was going to help. Yeah, uh, that country. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I wanted to be a writer. Actually. A writer? Yeah. I oh, wanted to be the next. Languages. I wanted to be the next Graham Greene or, nice. or Evelyn Waugh. One nice. of the two. One of the two. <laughs> and so I actually almost got a job on the East African Standard. Really? But they took so long to get back to me that I'd already made the decision to go to England. Okay. And it was only when I got to London that you I got the heard. Yes. <laughs> ah. <laughs> You start like, how much is the fare to go? No, yeah. no, I'm here now. But it was a fairly lowly job, and okay. uh, you know, so I, 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 I came, I came to England. I Took had the chances. I had the princely sum of twenty pounds. Twenty quid. Twenty quid. What would you say that was the equivalent of now, though? Twenty quid. What's that like? Oh uh, well, like Edge I, note fifty quid. Uh, it would, it would be in the hundreds, I guess. Hundreds. Right. It would be in the hundreds. Like two hundred yeah. quid. Yeah, but it had been obviously not anywhere near a thousand, but it would be in the okay. hundreds. <laughs> So uh, not enough, basically. Not enough. But I did have I, I did have a place to stay, which was a, a vicar okay. uh, in in Streatham. In Streatham, uh, yeah, who was a friend of my mother, so uh, so of my parents. So so I stayed with him. Nice. So I had uh, I had a bread and board. 
Nice. That 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 wipes out a big chunk. So you know the two hundred, the twenty quid suddenly has a little bit more length. Oh yeah, it. oh yeah. Uh, and uh, and actually, he did get me a job. Okay. And, and it was a job in a in a little bookshop uh, in Fleet Street. Around what you love, then, because you wanted to be a writer. Around, so uh, around, yeah, pretty much around what I love. Yeah. But actually, it, it wasn't really because it was uh, religious books. And uh, oh, okay. You didn't want to rewrite the Bible, so you thought, nah, this isn't the kind of writing that I want to do. (laughs) Exactly. And of course, uh, much as I owe uh, uh, my parents, my mother in particular, because she taught me my love of of, uh, reading and also was extraordinarily broad-minded. She really knew all there was to know about Islam. Okay. Uh, uh, She'd started, uh, actually, her missionary uh, work in, in what was then Persia. That's a tough ask. Yeah, <laughs> trying try, try, try to do Christian missionary work Whoa. in in a really strongly Islamic country. I yeah, mean, that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be that's going to be a challenge. challenge. Yeah. What exactly was the job of a missionary? Like, what exactly was? How did they arrive at that post and and follow that? It was it just a choice, or you know? My mother uh, explained it as having a sort of a visit from Jesus. Okay. And uh, Jesus appeared uh, to her and told her that she must go out and spread the word of God. Okay. And, and actually, it's as simple as that. Okay. Uh, so it was she, a calling. It was a calling. It was a calling. Yeah. Uh, and so she wanted to take the word of God to people that didn't know about God, had no way of knowing about God. Okay. And that's why she went, well, first to Persia. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and, then to, and then to Africa. Yeah. So... With that, then, and while she was there, that's when she then learnt deeply about about Islam. She learnt a, a great deal about Islam. Okay. Uh, she studied it. She learnt a great deal about Hinduism. She so she just it. broadened her whole yeah, yeah right, her whole yeah. scope. Okay. It led it led to a lot of interesting discussions with me in in my later teen years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I think that's that's helpful. You're gonna you're gonna question and but for you, sure. if anyone's well versed with the answers, it's your mum, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. But it never, it, I mean, the extraordinary thing is, is that while all of these uh, things that she taught me led me to question her yeah. faith, yes, it never led her yeah. to question it. Yeah. She was so powerfully yeah. uh, believing in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that her faith was never ever shaken. unwavering. Yeah, unwavering. it's like my my mother and father are both pastors, so I, I you know I understand that whole you know dynamic. Yeah, cool. All right, so in the shop, the wrong kind of bookshop, and then, well, it then um, uh, I fell out with uh, <laughs> the, the vicar. <laughs> you told him to do one. I I mean I was. I was 18 and and I was discovering London. I have to say, I was just scared. I was so scared of yeah. London. I was. I remember Why? one of my first jobs. I, I just couldn't believe the numbers of people. Okay, I you're coming from it, yeah. <laughs> and and all of these people and 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 they're rushing around and 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 busyness and so on. And I was scared to ask people for anything. Yeah. And I remember, I, I remember being uh, one of my first jobs at this bookshop was to deliver a package, a parcel to an American uh, customer at the Regent's Palace Hotel. And I walked in, and there were sort of four reception desks and people <laughs> milling around. 
And I just stood there shaking with fear. Where do I go? Who do I ask? What do I do? I mean, honestly, you'd, I mean, talk about a little, little green, yeah. scaredy boy. <laughs> I was, uh, I've, uh, I lived in Nigeria for a while. Mm. And when you go to the village, you realize how, um, how, mu how much smaller it is, but how much of a community there is. Mm. And I think, the biggest difference I, I noticed coming from, you know, being born and raised here and going back for a bit was the sense of community. Mm. Like you go around, but, you know, you might greet your elders, you know, greet, you know, there's a level of respect and hierarchy and there's a bit of conversation in the day. You yeah. know? Whereas over here, obviously, because it's much more multicultural, you don't know who's who. So yeah. you're not, there's not that whole greeting, that whole sense of community bit, unless apart from on your actual road that you live on, it's not really there. So I can imagine for you, 18 years away, and then you come back and you're having to figure it out all yourself and everyone's a stranger. It must be kind of uh, daunting. Scary. Yeah. Daunting is the right word. Yeah. Daunting is really the right word. Cool. So, anyway. so, what, so what was your, you know, your, your job route then? So you went from... I, well, I, I, um, I, I stayed there for a little while. Uh, then I got another job. But uh, I, I was beginning to enjoy London, and I was oh. beginning. I, I mean, I, I who was she? Who was she? I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say she, there was a she, but there wasn't at the time. I was too scared. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, I was. I, I wouldn't go into a pub on my own. I, oh, yeah. I simply. Oh no, I wouldn't go into a pub on my own. Just they, too they scared. Were, they were just the scariest of places, you know. <laughs> uh, but however, gradually I, I got over it. Gradually. Uh, I got to make a couple of friends, yeah, and um, and then I, I sort of stayed out late once in a while, Ooh. and I didn't I didn't go to church, which of yeah. course, coming from your background, was the biggest sin. Uh, yeah, and especially as I was staying with a vicar, and oh oh whoa yeah you're yeah. <laughs> if you're living in a vicar and you're not going to church, then um I don't think <laughs> you're gonna yeah I can understand his point of view now yeah. <laughs> But the funny thing is, is that my mother came back, and this was about two days uh, before our explosive row. She came oh. and stayed with the vicar too. And I came back from work, and I remember the, the, the vicar and his family used to sit in the parlor okay. watching a little black and white television of an evening. And uh, I, I just didn't enjoy that. I didn't. I wasn't interested in that. What was on the telly? You were down south. I wasn't. I wasn't interested in what they watched. At any rate, <laughs> so I'd go up to my uh, room and read. Um, I I wouldn't get into bed, but but the, the room was cold. It wasn't heated. That's how it was cold. So I'd, I'd just keep my overcoat on and read. <laughs> on this particular evening, uh, he yelled up and said, "Supper's ready." I went down. I forgot to take my overcoat off. Okay. And the vicar suddenly turned on me, yelled at me, saying, you're accusing me of not being able to heat my house. You, you and oh, he, he really, really lost it, really lost it. Oh, no. And he said, I want you out of here. I want you out of here tomorrow. Ooh. <laughs> my poor mother sitting there. I mean. Oh, no. Anyway. In front of your mum? Hmm? In front of your Oh, yes, in front of my mother. So, What did your mum say? <laughs> well, she, she, she must have been a bit... But she was shocked. She was hugely shocked, uh, yeah. uh, and uh, I think she was too shocked to even try and to intercede. say anything. Yeah. yeah. Any rate, I I just turned on my heel and, and walked back up to my room, and I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll I'll leave." Okay. Fortunately, I had a friend that lived in Beckenham. Uh, he lived with his mum there, and, and they agreed to 
put me up. Oh, that's good. Now, the thing, the timing of this uh, is extraordinary, given that this is a vicar. Yeah. <laughs> it was the day before Christmas Eve. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. And uh, so, um, oh. so I moved out on Christmas Eve. I went oh, to stay no. with these friends. And uh, my mum and I, and my sister, I forgot to say my sister was staying there too. Okay. So my mum and I. Did you kick your sister, sister out? No, no, no. Sister, my sister, just you. My sister was good as gold. No, just okay. me. Just, just you. Me. Oh, my gosh. The rebel. All right. And uh, so uh, we, uh, we arranged to meet on Christmas Day to exchange our presents. And I caught the bus from Beckenham. He kicked you out. Like, literally held it. Yeah. Like, couldn't yeah, yeah. even wait till. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so on Christmas Day, we met uh, at a little. It, um, it's the only place that was open. I mean, in, in, you know, in 1963. Oh, there, there wouldn't have Shut, been any yeah. any calves or whatever open. Yeah. I mean, not not in those days. However, this one was okay, and and I think it was a Turkish place. So okay. you know, so there, it was. and so uh, I caught the bus from Beckenham, and it was right next next to the Streatham ice rink. I caught the bus okay. from Beckenham <laughs> to this to there. My mother and sister walked down from the vicarage, which was kind of just around the corner uh, in Streatham. Uh, and we met there and exchanged our exchanged Gifts. our prezies. It's kind of like bittersweet, though. It's like, yeah, nice that we're doing it, but ugh, in a calf. Well, the Why thing did is, kick me out. The thing is, it did make me then uh, grow up pretty damn quick because uh, uh, because then I really had to stand on my own two feet. Okay, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, and I still didn't really have any money to speak of. I was going to say, did the two hundred run out by that? Sorry, oh, 20, yeah, 20 quid oh, run that, out. That, that that. I mean, fortunately, I still had a job, but. Yeah, but but it but it it, it had run out. All right, and uh, was well, so it I, needs must when your back's against the wall? That's when you make the biggest decisions in your life, really. Absolutely, so, yeah. absolutely. Right. Uh, so then um, I stayed with with my chum uh, for a little while, uh, but of course I couldn't I couldn't take their hospitality for too long. Uh, so I moved into a a boarding house in Earl's Court. Oh man. And I was uh, I was in the, on the top floor of this boarding house. It was run by a Welsh couple, wonderful characters. He was thin and wiry. <laughs> she was really big and fat, <laughs> and she couldn't get up the stairs. Any rate, yeah. it, I paid uh, three pounds fifty a week, and I got <laughs> uh, full board. So I got breakfast and dinner. For three pound fifty. For three pounds fifty. I'm not. Can you even buy that in like a Starbucks or anything now? You can't buy coffee over that. No. Jeez. Uh, and I was earning seven pounds fifty a week. So like half your <laughs> half your wages. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I worked for. I was then at that point. I was working for Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company. Three Mining pounds. and manufacturing. Yeah, but they, they actually, what they made was scotch tape. They made sticky tape. <laughs> so where does the mining come into it? <laughs> I went Minnesota. I <laughs> wow, all right. So there I was, there I was. Um, and then, you know, life, I mean, it was the swinging 60s. Life kind of Woo. took off. I had no money, but... Don't but, matter. Um, you don't need money to have fun sometimes. Well, I mean, you, when you think that a pint of bitter was 9p... Uh, I, oh, I mean, you did, you know, it was not that tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, however, uh, there was a point at which I really started to get fed up with uh, 
with my job. Okay. And I was in the mining company. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was still writing. I was, I was still up in my room, right up in the attic. I was still writing, trying to write. Were you submitting stuff to people there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I did have a couple of things printed. I actually had a couple of things printed in, in, uh, a wildlife magazine because cool. I, wrote, I wrote about wildlife. It's not what I wanted to write about, but I, I wasn't bad at it. Yeah, yeah, because of, because of my upbringing, uh, I, and so I, I carried on writing. Uh, but what I, of course, what I wanted to write was that novel. Yeah, um, and uh, about uh, it had to be a novel full of really believable characters. And I never, ever quite got as far as developing what I felt was a really believable story. Okay. And it was during this time that actually it kind of dawned on me that, first of all, writing was a very lonely profession. Lonely? Lonely. Was you in the attic, writing away, yeah. trying to catch this idea? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And all my mates were down the pub. Oh, that nine piece calling then, you. <laughs> but then I realised that actually I was missing one key ingredient, which was Catholic angst. Catholic angst. Catholic okay. angst. Okay. You see, there are fantastic Irish writers. Yeah. Catholic angst. They're full of Catholic angst. Yeah, 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 yeah. Graham Greene, what was he? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a yeah. Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Evelyn Moore, what was he? He's a Catholic. Yeah. These guys plumb the depths. Graham Greene was overcome by depression on many occasions. Yeah. I had none of that. I was a happy-go-lucky, cheerful chappy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was never, ever going to be able to write like them. I realized because that. it has to come from a true place as well. It has to come from a true place. You can't just inject it in like, oh, something. You know, what would they say? You got it's got yeah. to come from it. Yeah, it's kind of like the 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 torn artist. Uh, Breakup songs touch people more than you absolutely. know continuous lovey dovey. The world is good songs. Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely, it it is it is, it, and and it doesn't it, it goes right across the arts. You know, it's, it's not just writing. It's it, it it's music. Yeah, uh, it, it's painting. Yeah, uh, you know, great artists have have this depth. Yeah, uh, uh, of of emotion in them, yeah. and allow uh, it to flow out. And yeah. Allow it to, you know, and 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 a lot of it is 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 frankly it comes from a a pretty a pretty awful place. Yeah, a lot of it comes from, uh, a, you know, a, a pretty gloomy place. Mm. Nice to listen to and to read, but <laughs> if you have to go for it yeah. and then do it, it's not, yeah. it's not very nice. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, so as that as that sort of dawned on me, and I and I, and it and I realized that fairly quickly, uh, and 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 I, as I said before, you know, it was it there was all these other temptations as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> out there. The pub was calling while you're um, writing. You're like, oh, just one more down there, my mates, <laughs> instead of right, trying to find this angst stuff. No. <laughs> But then, then I lost my job, and oh. in truth, in truth, in truth, I deserved to lose my job. You weren't committing. I wasn't committing. All right, and and so then I really had no money. I mean, I absolutely had no money. Uh, and uh, uh, the the uh, Welsh couple locked all my 
clothes away, uh, everything away. In the, in, in, in the room? Up in the attic. They yes. locked the door. Locked the door and said, go out and get yourself a job and pay your rent off. And, uh, and then you, you get your stuff back. Uh, yeah. So now you had no money and no clothes. <laughs> I had what I stood up in. Ah. Oh. And, uh, and so I, I hadn't paid them for, for about three weeks. So they were, they were getting pretty shirty. All, funny, all funny, 12 quid of it, yes, you know. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that uh, uh, it was the, the wife that sent the, the little, the, her husband upstairs. Okay. And, and he was so apologetic. He was full oh. of apologies. Because he was thin and wiry. He thought, don't push me down the stairs, please. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but I've got to close the door, but please, she sent me, yes. please don't touch me. Oh, absolutely. Wow. And this, uh, the, the, I, could, I could hear the uh, you know the, the 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 wife downstairs. Have you done it yet? Yelling up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jane, you made sure it's locked. That useless. We can't go and have a three pound fifty down here. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Exactly. You must have felt. Yeah, I must have been. You must have felt kind of. Ouch. You've broken. I've had, uh, uh, yes, but you know, I I don't know where I don't know where I I kind of got it from, uh, but. I always had a degree of self-belief. I always had this thing, I'll find a way out of this. I'll, I'll find a way through it's it. It's important to have. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it can also be a, a, a pretty silly thing to have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's true. <laughs> Skipping through life. It is very true. It's, true. But, it's what's uh, needed to get you through a lot of stuff, but yeah. at the same time, it can, you know, yeah. it can lead you down the wrong path. So, yeah. Interestingly, uh, my life... My life does seem to have uh, have just just steps along the way uh, have led to things that I've had nothing really to do with. They're happenstance. Okay. They're little strokes of luck. Destiny. They, yes, like that. Well, as your mother would say, the hand of God. The hand of God. Guiding. Maybe, or fate. Guiding you to your, to your <laughs> destiny. There we go. Exactly. Do you believe? Me? Yeah. Yes, yes. You know, it's like I said, my mother and my father, I grew up in a house full of, um, you know, full of yeah. full of it. So it's in yeah. my heart somewhere, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's there. Well, I so. mean, it's, it's, it's great. And, yeah. and, uh, it's good to have and, faith. You know, I, I think, like you say, in, in, heart, in your hardest times, back against the wall, mm. you, don't, you never feel fully alone. Yeah. And I think that's what faith gives you. I, it gives you the, the, the feeling of, you know, I've got, I've got my own two feet, but there's, there's, there's another avenue and something else that's giving me the strength to mm. knock past. Otherwise, I might just crumble and just stop anyway. So, you know, it's, I think faith gives you that little bit of strength when, you're, when your back's against the wall. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, it certainly, it certainly gave my mother, yeah. uh, a, I mean, a huge amount of strength because yeah. uh, my father died when I was 10. And 10? So, yeah, and so she, she remained in Africa on her own yeah. In in pretty pretty poor circumstances. I mean, she she you know talk about uh, being as poor as a church mouse. I mean, yeah, she, she was, was she was poorer, and, <laughs> um, and working for a missionary society that that paid her very little and didn't look after their own terribly well. And she didn't question at all. Uh, she didn't question it because you know she was there doing God's job, or you know she was there for for, for Jesus. Um, uh, uh, but my word, what strength that gave her! I mean, yeah. she she sailed through everything, yeah, uh, re re remarkably, yeah. remarkably. I don't share I don't share my mother's faith, yeah, uh, uh, exactly, yeah. Uh, but uh, when things happen in one's life, uh, for which there's no real 
reason. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it's fate. It's what is it? Yeah. It could be the exactly. hand of God. There we go. Yeah. Uh, and and so this particular this particular opportunity, call it fate, was when I went. My mother by this time had returned. She'd actually come back from Uganda and was living in just the top end of, of Labrook Grove in a little flat there. So I went to visit her, and somehow I went to Harles and Labor Exchange. Now, okay. I don't ask me. I can't <laughs> even remember how I got there. Don't ask me how I got there. But I went to Harles and Labor Exchange, and they offered me a job in a, a tiny little record company called Island Records. Oh, no. And it At was the a, Labor Exchange? Yeah. And it was a job as a storeman. I mean, as the postboy, as the one that packed up the records really? and so on. Wow. And At so, the job exchange. That's like going down the yeah. job center. Yeah. And they gave you yeah. a job in Ireland as a postboy. Yeah. Wow. Well, they sent me for the interview. Well, yeah. sent you for the interview. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, Island Records at that time, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was tiny, but uh, they had a they had a, a, an office, the head office, Chris Blackwell worked out of, uh, out of a, an office in Oxford Street. I love these humble beginnings, you know, and, I love uh, this stuff, uh, I love it. So go ahead. Uh, but uh, but, uh, but the, the store, if you like, and the sales bit of it was in a condemned end of terrace house <laughs> uh, in, uh, in, in Kilburn. <laughs> and, uh, and that's where you were. Uh, and that's where, that's where I was sent. And the store was in the basement. And it was Oh, down, on top of that. <laughs> on top of that. And it was yeah, this down, is the house you're like, oh no, and you're in the basement. Oh, great. <laughs> and it really was damp. Oh no! And during the winter, I had I I just had a persistent cough and cold. I mean, it just oh. never left me. I and just, that coat that you did that, that got you kicked out of the vicars. <laughs> you had that on. Jeez! I probably did, as a matter of fact, because I don't. I'm not sure I'd have been able to have afforded a yeah. new one in all that. And that's but, after you managed to yeah. pay back the other people to release your clothes. <laughs> what a what a journey! Uh, so I started there, and uh, that would that would have been 1965. So I'd been wow. I'd been in England for uh, about two years by then. And Island Records was my start in the music industry. Were you even into, like, was that on your radar? Because so far it seems, you know, you you, you wanted to be that writer. Mm. Obviously you realized as time went on, that wasn't really going to happen for mm. the, or the, in the way that you wanted it to happen. Mm. You enjoyed music just like anyone else? Yeah. Just okay. Like I love dancing. Yeah. I love dancing. My my style of dancing was a cross between Mick Jagger <laughs> okay. and and a Maasai, you know, uh, jump yeah. leave half and half and down. People did comment on my oh, style yeah. of dancing. <laughs> where, where, You're bringing your roots with you and just put it in with with Mick Jagger. You know, I mean, why not? <laughs> You see, it never caught on. It didn't, it didn't catch on, but, you know. You, didn't really catch you on. You were ahead of your time. That was what it was. So, so, so yeah, so then, you, so then you were the postboy. I was the In post the tiny, boy. well. In a tiny company. Island Records. Yeah. Know. Well, in a tiny company, at that time, it sold purely ska, blue yeah. yeah. It was it, it was selling Jamaican music. Yeah. And so. Was that even your thing? 
I didn't know anything about it. You're just like posting it and sending it no, off. I had no idea yeah. about it. Yeah. I, I knew. A, and why would you? Yeah. Yeah. I knew a bit about African music because, yeah. of course, you grew up there. I grew up in, in that. Yeah. But here, all of a sudden, so there's this little white boy <laughs> from Africa. <laughs> And suddenly, posting out all the scars. He's he's with he's he's the little white boy in this company that's selling Jamaican music. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was meeting Jamaicans. I was meeting uh, uh, that immigrant community yes. here, and, and they were yeah. mainly immigrants, yeah. <laughs> like like me, yeah, fact. like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and it didn't take me long before I just started to get into that music. Yeah, I loved. I love Scar. You see, I think I think where I think that's where your upbringing would have helped you majorly. Not 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 because of the music, but more so you grew up around black people. Mm. So very much so. Yeah. So for you, the you know the interaction was just it's just it was just regular. There was no uh, curiosity to it. There was no myth to it. Mm. So you can very quickly just be yourself and accept people for who they are yeah. and and interact and then see whether you like the musical, you like the person. And I think that probably would have been a bit of a barrier for a lot of people. Whereas for you, that wouldn't have been you know. So that's yeah. that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you started getting into Scar. I, I started to get into Scar, and of course um, as the company grew, so I got little opportunities. Did it grow quickly? It didn't, and as a matter of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I was made redundant. Oh! Uh, at the end of 1965, I'd barely been there seven or seven or eight months, and I was made redundant. So, did you know? Like, did you when you went for your interview? Mm. Then uh, it was just at that condemned place in Kilburn, mm. and they said, "All right, cool, you start pack, mm. package that stuff over there." Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It wasn't okay. Yeah. I was How? the lowest of the low. The, lo <laughs> the lowest of the low. Put it in the bag properly. You can't even do that. Go home. Right. So, long <laughs> those lines. Yeah, so, um, you were in the post room. So, end of that year, you got made redundant. Yeah. How did you. Again, that must have been. Got, and you got re employed there again? Got re employed. Now, the thing was that, that I volunteered to come back on Saturdays to help. You enjoyed it so much. Help with the books, help with, you know, so I just made myself useful. Yeah. Was that uh, just trying to keep a foot in the door or oh, was it, that? Oh yeah, I yeah, mean, I, yeah. I, I, you don't I, wanna, I, you get your clothes I, locked I, up I again. Felt, I felt, I felt that, I felt that they would probably get, get themselves back on track. Uh, and by this time, of course, I'd met Chris Blackwell. Okay. And, and uh, Just like a high high or? Uh, no, I'd met, nice I'd met him, I'd, I'd met him uh, for, for a couple of chats and, and uh, I mean, he he had an aura about him. You know, he was a he was one of those people that is a star, a little bit like yourself. <laughs> you know, when you walk into a room, people people notice you. People turn around, okay, without because they sense something is yeah yeah coming yeah. into the room. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and I and I figured that actually this was a guy. Uh, who was going to go places? He yeah. just had a, a lot of people say that about uh, uh, about Chris. Mm. About, uh, yeah. He's got that. He had an aura about him. He really did, and he a really presence. Did. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you met him a few times. You you got made yeah. redundant. You came back. Came back. Did the books. I had no accountancy training or whatever. But <laughs> You're just I like could, yeah, I can I do them. Can I can do them. <laughs> calculate, please calculate. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I did all of that. So you ended and, up doing uh, the, the books for a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then? So I, I was doing the invoicing, basically, okay. and uh, and setting those out to the record shops, etc. Okay. And then they started to get back on their feet, and so 
they said, oh, you, you know, we need you back in the stores, so come and join us again. Oh, so while you're doing the books, you still weren't employed? I'd got another job. I was working for Saga. Saga, the record company, not the the, the, yeah, yeah, the old yeah, yeah. people's thing. Okay. Saga, the record company, and they yeah. and they sold in the post room. Classic in the post room, and they How sold. You love that post room stuff. You're like, I'm, I'm staying around this this music. I'm going to go to another post room over there. All right. I, I know. Meanwhile, doing the Saturdays, you're doing the books. But I, Saturdays, I was doing the books. Oh, yeah. So then, then they said, "Look, we're getting back on our feet. Do you want a job?" Or you yeah. asked. No, no, they, they, they said, uh, I mean, because we were chatting away and, and, yeah. and I knew that things were happening and I knew that records were selling way better and yeah. et cetera. And, uh, and uh, so they said, hey, listen, you know, we really need you back, you know, come back into the stores and, and, and so on. So, okay, that was invoicing. I mean, actually, I continued to do the invoicing. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Multitasking. But, uh, but, but during the week, I was packing, uh, packing and posting uh, records. Oh, back up. to the posting again. Back, back to that. Okay, yeah. so what yeah. stage did it move from packing and posting to, you know, a little bit further up? Well, then the next step up the ladder uh, was as a van rep. A uh, van rep? A van rep. For some reason, I'm not, that doesn't sound like the step up. I don't know, because you're posting it out. So now what, you're driving it to the places? No, no, okay. Driving and selling, driving and selling. So, okay. So I have a, a high top comma van. Now, a high top comma van simply means that the, the back of it is it, it's it's really high. It's, it's high. Yeah. And we had shelves either side. So it's a moving record store. It's a moving moving record depot. Okay. And so it's all all there. Yeah. And I went out and I called on all the record shops that were currently buying Scar music. And that effectively meant uh, going to all the places where Jamaicans, uh, well, Caribbean people were, were were living. Nice. So, oh, and selling it. So, if they if they're not if they can't get to the store, I'm take the yeah. store to them. Yeah. Nice. And and I'd go and I'd play I'd, on Mondays. I'd go and I'd play them the new releases and try and encourage them to buy what we felt was the yeah you know, yeah the one the yeah big things and so on. That's a step up. That's some skills you're getting there. So, you know, well, like, communication, you're, yeah. you're, you're bartering. You're and marketing. Yeah. You know, and, and also getting to know their customers. So yeah. actually getting to know the fans. Which is the most po important yeah. part because there's what yeah. you're selling, but there's what people want. So yeah. when yeah. you're face-to-face -face seeing that reaction and seeing what is actually working, you're making yeah. better decisions. Yeah. I like so, that. And the characters. The characters. <laughs> these shops. I mean, probably one of my biggest accounts was Brixton. Brixton was, uh, uh, it was a hairdresser's, really it was a hairdresser's. And, uh, and it was owned by a guy called Nat Cole. Nat Cole. Nat Cole. Not Nat King Cole, just Nat Cole. Of course, of course he became Nat King Nat Cole. Nat King Cole, yeah. Of course he did. And, uh, and the, th the thing is, uh, uh, some of these guys were... You know, I mean, they, they, they put it this way. They didn't have accounts because <laughs> it was always difficult to get the money out of them once you've given them the records. <laughs> like, give, give me the record, I'll, play, I'll pay you next week. I'll pay you next week. I'll pay you exactly, next week. Don't exactly. worry. Come back, come back, Tim. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. And then you've got to explain to them, no, well, they said, you know, it's an yeah. IOU here and IOU, IOU, IOU. I mean, I'd, I'd go in, to, I'd go in and, and I'd put the records on the counter I mean, you know, there'd be big boxes like that. Yeah. <laughs> Put the records on the counter. And, uh, and I'd give Nat the invoice. And, and he would. He said, Chumatan Tim. <laughs> hey, 
next week. <laughs> and I'd say, Nat, Nat, you know the score. You yeah, know the score. Yeah. It's and, been three weeks the now, money, buddy, you know. And then, of course, in between my uh, going into the van and picking and packing the record and, and uh, from the order that he'd given me, and then coming and put, put them down on the, on the counter, he'd have been off doing uh, uh, somebody's hair. Oh, so then he and, got away. And, and, and no, so when I asked for the money and he said, Chum out and Tim, and then he'd say, Look, man, look. <laughs> oh, he's got the stuff all over his hands. <laughs> gunge. He's got this gunge all over his hands. <laughs> and I'd say, Nat, Nat, you've got to give me the money. Yeah, yeah. You've got to give me that. And so the bugger would count it all out with, with the gunge on it. Oh, man. <laughs> so you want the money? Here's the money. You pick it up like that. I told yeah, you about the, my hands. Yeah, oh, yeah. man. So, so, and and there were there were a string of places, you know, those Henry's art related school of driving, <laughs> art related <laughs> school of driving. Yeah, that yeah. is hilarious. And this was in Peckham. Yeah, and uh, and uh, it what kind really, of name is that? It, it was like it was like a front room. Okay, and uh, and and he ran a driving school, <laughs> but but he had this front room, and he and he had a few shelves, and he kept records on there, and so he was selling records to his. It's, it's to the, to the drive. <laughs> uh, it, Art related uh, school yeah. of driving. I wonder yeah. why that didn't catch up. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, Art related uh, school yeah. of driving. Another another shop in wow. Peckham. Another shop in Peckham was Reeds of Peckham. Reeds. Reeds of Peckham. Okay. R E E D or R E A D. R E E D. Okay. And this was run by uh, a, a little old lady with, with with the pink rinsed hair. Okay. Called her Mrs. Always Mrs. Reed, Mrs. Reed, Mrs. Reed, yeah. And her uh, husband had died, and she'd continued to run the shop. Oh, yeah. And I suspect that when they set it up after the war, they would have been selling classical records, jazz, and so on. But as the Caribbean immigrants came in, of course, they they had to change. Yeah, yeah, editor. Yeah. But I have to say, she just took to it like a duck to water. I mean, she got to know the music so incredibly well. Brilliant. And. Boy, she could talk to her customers about, you know, what was good and what wasn't. And I mean, it was unbelievable. Brilliant. This, this, this she was across it. Get a woman to do something. Hey, they do it. They do it properly. Oh, See that. But uh, in her basement, she had these seventy eights. Okay. You know, vinyl yeah. had only just come in in the beginning of the sixties. Really, had only just started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and she was convinced. What was that stuff called? Not Bakelite, but she was convinced that the seventy eights were going to come back. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like, oh no, no. You know, this vinyl is this. And this, this, this vinyl technology <laughs> nonsense. Way, way, way ahead of its time. Won't catch on. Telling you. <laughs> I often, oh, I I often wow. wondered what happened to those discs. Yeah. I mean, they, they probably would have been worth a fortune, but you know, they're incredibly yeah. breakable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. And I, I'm sure you know this, but yeah. um, in contracts, and really it, it, it still exists in some record company contracts, you're paid on 90%. Yeah. And the 10% was breakages. for breakages. Yeah. <laughs> because of that. Because but of, how can they still? How can they can't still keep exactly. that in contracts? It's terrible. Exactly. Nothing breaks now. It's all digital, mate. Exactly. Ah, uh, these exactly. people. Tim. But 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 you know, I mean, there's breakages, and they they find some other way of putting it. Yeah. But there's also packaging. Pack oh, what packaging yeah. is? There's no packaging what? on a digital no, item at all. I know. Uh, 
but contracts legal still, jargon in the, still, in the bottom it's, it's still there it's okay. still there yeah terrible anyway so <laughs> back to tim so uh you're i can see you in this van now the the what is it van rep Yep, van, van rep, rep van and rep. then from the van rep now what's the what's, where, 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 what's the well, next rung on the ladder I did, I did that for you know I did that for probably 18 months and then and then uh, year and a half uh, uh, yeah and then they said well we need somebody now to come in and you know start doing the production work and uh, production and, work yeah and on so, records yes but not not studio this is manufacturing so getting the records pressed okay. getting the sleeves printed and so on and so this was really helping me to serve an apprenticeship yeah. because I then got to know all about pressing plants, printing, artwork, proofing, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. And that's what I did. I did yeah. that and then took over marketing and also was doing quite a lot of art direction from I think it was the beginning of 68 – uh, uh, through to 76. So 68 to 76, I was uh, uh, doing the production, first of all, uh, and then 69, I added the sort of marketing to the thing. Well, I, I, I knew about, like eight years. I knew about record shops and how they yeah, sold to customers. Um, yeah. um, did um, all these... Uh, um, promotions and this all this movement through the company, was that sanctioned by chris or was that you know was it or again was it you just you were having discussions and people at the your line manager whoever it was was moving yeah. you up the, the no it was it was actually uh dave betridge uh who uh who was chris's uh, uh became chris's managing director okay he was the one that i reported to directly nice uh, and he was noticing you're doing good in this position uh, okay move yeah. to there now move to them uh, oh but i i always had to ask <laughs> okay yeah you had to put your you had to put yourself forward and say look i've done this a while now is there anything else yeah, i yeah. can do kind of is that what your is that your approach yeah. all right and and also it was helped by the fact that uh, uh david uh had been doing all of the production himself because you know it's small company yeah and so he was doing that so you're like and, let uh, me take that off your hands you don't you yeah, do yeah. less i'll do more yeah, yeah. don't worry then you're in that yeah, position yeah. Yeah. i love this savvy yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so i did that and um that was just one of the the best periods. Seriously, um, yeah. Because we then began to broaden our base. Okay, and uh, we took on uh, what was then called the underground. So we had uh, we had a bunch of folk people, nice uh, like John Martin and Fairport Convention. Uh, we had people like Jethro Tull. We had Steve Winwood and Traffic. Ooh. Steve Winwood, another Ooh, yeah. another man with a super super Huge. wonderful voice like yours, and uh, you know we gradually became a, a more broadly based company. company. Yeah, and then I guess the big big change was in seventy one when we signed Cat Stevens, okay. and Cat Stevens became. A superstar. Yeah. He became a real superstar. And then I guess they, they realized up to this point, we've been doing well. We've, you know, we've had yeah. some really nice, what we thought were hits. Yeah. And this has catapulted us to a whole other yeah. stratosphere. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and uh, what were you doing by that point? Still in marketing? I, 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 uh, in 72, uh, I was made a director of the company and I became the marketing director. 
Whoa. So, um, Come on, that's like, boom, <laughs> I've, I've done it. That's really good. Uh, sort of. It, 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 it did feel a bit like that. And, uh, and who, who made that decision then? Was that... Um, uh, that was Chris and David. Chris, Chris and, and David. David. Yeah, Chris and David. Yeah. You must have come on. I'm, I'm excited. That must have been like from marketing and that. And then they say, do you know what? Do you want, would, did you have to put yourself forward again? I think, uh, I, I don't think I did for that, as a yeah. matter of fact. They just I said, look, I did. We, yeah. we can see that you've done well. Yeah. You've come from the post room up to this marketing position. Yeah. Uh, would you like to? Yeah. You know, I, ran, I will say that about the other stories that I've heard about uh, Chris Blackwell. Mm. That whole, I think it's very important for any boss mm. to be able to, you know, in their busy days and busy life, to still somehow recognize in their company mm. what's going on and, you know, keep them motivated and give promotions where required sure. and, and make the right decisions. Because it's, it's a hard director. That's a, they're putting a lot of trust in you. Yeah. However, uh, they, I, had, I had by this time built, um, relationships important relationships so uh, which they couldn't deny yeah uh, one of those was with uh, a fellow that uh, i think you'll remember okay <laughs> oh oh yeah david david oh bless him yeah and david, how did how did you cross paths then like initially he was managing king crimson okay he was managing king crimson this is david entherman yeah yeah bless him. and and we signed King Crimson in 1969. And as marketing director, as marketing, sorry, I wasn't director then, as marketing manager, I worked directly with him. I yeah. worked directly with him on, on, on all the production things. Because it's all creative, so yeah. you, need to, yeah. you need to I interact. worked directly with him on um, all the marketing ideas, etc. And so that's when we formed a, a, you know, a really pretty close relationship. Nice. We had a situation when the first King Crimson sleeve yeah. was this extraordinary screaming mouth. And in those days, uh, not to have the name of the artist and a title on the front of the sleeve was... No, I, no, I mean, no, no. You, you were barking. You yeah. were barking mad if yeah. you didn't do that. <laughs> and uh, David, uh, David said, we don't want anything all we want is this because this iconic picture look at it look at it everybody's going to stop and say what the fuck <laughs> yeah 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 and i supported him and nice. i supported him against david and uh it, not that it, it didn't didn't do damage my relationship with david but i supported uh, with david batridge that is yeah it, it didn't uh, it didn't spoil my relationship with him but i but i fought the battle on behalf For of david, david and him and and so david Enthoven and i became uh, uh, even closer because he liked the fact that you you stood yeah. up yeah nice and then in in 71 he brought us roxy music so we'd had we'd had a lot of success with king crimson but then he brought in roxy music okay. and uh and and roxy uh we i remember we were playing a, a, a an acetate okay. at an a&r meeting and chris was sitting there with a one of those Russian fur hats on. <laughs> I mean, God knows. God, I'm not even sure it was winter, I mean, but, it, but there he was. Yeah. And uh, he was just sitting there, and, and as enigmatic as ever. And we had Muff Winwood as our A&R man. <sighs> these names, these names, people. <laughs> dear oh. Muff, dear Muff. And, and he was the head of A&R, for goodness sake. Wow. And uh, we played this acetate. And uh, Muff said, 
Sounds like the tremolos to me. <laughs> I said, "What?" I said, "What? You can't. You, you can't be serious. You can't be serious. Exactly. You can't be serious. You can't be serious." Any rate, uh, so it it went round. Uh, I did my piece. I think uh, Dave Bertridge actually said, uh, "You know, we should sign this this act." I was going to say in those meetings because. Although you're feeling very, very comfortable in those meetings now because mm. you've been there for years. so mm. But in those meetings, just everybody gives their opinion. Everybody and, gave their opinion. But then, but but there was a pecking order. And Muff was uh, at, at the, the top, top of that yeah. because he was the A&R man. And then, of course, it had success with the Spencer Davis group and, yeah. and so on. Yeah. And uh, How many people in the meeting? Uh, I would think there was probably six of us, seven. Six, six or seven. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. Chris didn't say a word. And we went on to the next artist, whoever that was. And I'd already negotiated with David a deal. Oh, did, they didn't know this. Chris and David Bartridge were aware, but... Muff uh, wasn't. Muff wasn't. Uh, and, but I hadn't really properly been given the green light. So, so the, the deal was there. David Enthoven thought that it's it was done. all going to go through and i thought oh god what am i gonna do what am i gonna do You've gotta let these people down ah <laughs> uh. so one morning uh, we were standing in the foyer at uh, basing street we had our offices in basing street then and uh, with a wonderful studio there in, in, in the church in basing street and uh, i was standing there one morning and david came in with the artwork for the first roxy music album and it was it was like nine o'clock in the morning, and Chris suddenly appeared. Now Chris was a night owl. Chris was never up at that time in the morning. I don't know how. I mean, talk about fate. Yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, happens yeah. Talk about whatever it was. Just by chance. <laughs> Just wow. by chance. Wow. Wow. Then he walks, and he looked at this, and he looked at it. And he said, hmm. Enigmatic as always. Yeah. And uh, and he he just turned to me and said, um, "Have you got him signed yet?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of, I just sort of made a silent. Yes, come on! I knew I was right. Yes. <laughs> so good. that that really cemented uh, um, my relationship with uh, DE. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and of course we worked on uh, King Crimson, uh, Roxy mu music, Emerson Lake and Palmer. We had a great time. Good run, for, yeah. the, for for the next. Uh, well, eight years of great success. And this is while you were director? This was while I was uh, marketing director. Marketing director, yeah. Okay, right. Then there came a point where Chris and David Betridge had sort of fallen out. And, Why? Uh, uh, David David let his ego take over. Okay. David, David started to believe that uh, the success of the company was as much due to him as it was to Chris. Okay. Uh, and so, I, I mean, he... These, these things happen with wherever success or power is involved. Yeah. Kind of egos after why, you know, who... You, I always say, it. until you have access to excess, mm. you don't know who you are. That's yeah. my little saying. So, it's like, Great once saying. you see that, once mm. you have excess, mm. then you really do know, okay, there are no more rules for you, yeah. you know, depending on what level you get to. Yeah. Who are you? Are yeah. you still nice to people? Do you think it's all about you? Do you, yeah. you know, there's so many different then yeah. arguments of that nature start start happening. Yeah. Where it's not about money; it's just about 
I've got enough money, you've got enough money. Yeah. This is who I am, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, that's unfortunate. All right, they fell out. Okay. I mean, arguments happen at the same time, so, yeah. Yeah, I, but it was it was it was David. It was David yeah. that, had, that really got a little bit up himself. Yeah, yeah. And so Chris, uh, uh, Chris was off and away. Chris was in America. Chris was in Jamaica. Chris was in in the Bahamas. Uh, but he flew back, and he he called me up and he said, "Look, I think we're going to have to move David aside. You know, maybe we'll make him chairman." He's okay, like, so he's not trying to get rid of me. He's just saying, "Look, just yeah. move him." Okay. He said, would you be prepared to take over as managing director? You, you must have been like, oh <laughs> my gosh. Well, I... Yeah, Little Ugandan yeah. kid done good <laughs> over here. Yes. It was sort of yes and no. I was sort of like, oh my God. And, oh my know, God, what why? Do I, what do I do about David? Well, David had given me the job in the first place and you know... David, oh, yeah, but you're not moving him aside. Is that, you know, you... you I, I know, but... Never and also he's not leaving the company. He's staying there, right? He's, yeah, yeah. That's still a high position, right? He's just... On the right, it's a high position, but it's yeah. a, but it's. Oh, but he wanted to. He still wanted that position. I see. So you didn't really want to get in between that argument. I'd, I yeah I, yeah. It, it, I see. It's, it's I see. a difficult one. However, I knew that this was going to happen regardless because I knew that that Chris was mind he made up, made up about David. Yeah, and that if I didn't take it, somebody else would get it. And um, and I knew the history of the company. I'd, I'd been there. From then, the very bottom <laughs> to almost yeah. the top. So yeah. if yeah. anyone well, I'd been, was... I'd been there for 11 years by that time. And, wow. Uh, and and 10,000 hours or what? Yeah. You're definitely ripe yeah. for it. And so David was having a meeting the, with our financial director. And uh, he was a fairly volatile character. Who, David, yeah? David. Okay. And, um, and I knocked on the door uh, and popped my head in because Chris had asked me to go to his country house in Thiel that day. And I knew that he was going to ask me. And I was just, there was no way that yeah. I was going to go there without saying something well, Yeah, that's me. the nice thing. You mentioned it to yeah. me, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I knocked on the door and opened it. And David yelled at me, can't you see I'm effing in a meeting here? And I said, uh, David, I'm sorry to interrupt, but... Um, Chris has invited me down to Thiel. I believe he's going to ask me to become managing director. Uh, and if he does, I'm going to accept. And then I turned and walked out and drove to Thiel. So, so he didn't he didn't say anything back in return? He didn't say, ah, what the fuck? What you know, I, I'm not sure I gave him the chance. <laughs> okay, yeah, you thought, you know, I don't want to hear the response, so I'm just going to leave. Uh, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove down to Thiel, and uh, and Chris did. The, he said, "Look, uh, I, I do. I, I I I I think we need a change at the top. Okay, I'd like you to take over. Yeah, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll figure out what happens with David. But I'd like you to take over. Yeah. Did David become chairman? David did become chairman. Okay." Was uh, was there any animosity between you? I mean, it wasn't your fault. So, but was there any animosity oh, between there, you? And there was, there was, there, there was. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. not cool. Uh, but it's understandable, however. Yeah, and but none of that was your fault, though. None. It wasn't anything no. that you've done. So, well, I accepted the job, though. <laughs> yeah, but you're not. I mean, come on, no, that's someone's offered you a job. I could have said to Chris, "Oh no, come on, we, you, no, you got to keep David. You, no, no, let, let's." Yeah, but like you said, I a, thought give him a good talking to. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you said that David. You said that he Chris had made up his mind. 
Chris had pretty much made up his mind, but okay. but, but even so, I, I mean, I could probably have, 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 have done pushed a bit it. Of mine. However, yeah. however, uh, I also knew uh, that David David had really uh, become this impossible person. He'd, 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 he was hard to know, work with. No? It was very hard to work with. Uh, he'd, he, you know, he shouted at people. Uh, he he didn't. He wasn't the inspiration. That he had been okay in the early days, yeah, and uh, and I and I felt that I felt that he was taking Island Records down the wrong path. Okay, yeah. So uh, it's time for your vision, yeah. Oh well, and and so uh, uh, and so that was seventy six, and um, uh, and at at the point that I took over, uh, David Entoven's deal for all of his artists was coming to an end. Okay, and so I, I was. Beginning that renegotiation, and we had high hopes of re-signing him. Obviously, I had a great relationship with him, and with all the artists, you know, with Brian Ferry and, and Robert Fripp and so on. And so I felt we were in a strong position. And um, <laughs> uh, this uh, negotiation was was taking its time, <laughs> and then one day, David came in and he said, "Tim." I'm really sorry. I know. But Polydor have offered me so much money. <laughs> I like the so. <laughs> so. Like, you can't match it. So much money. <laughs> we were never going to match it. Oh, wow. We were never going to match it. Yeah. So they all had to go. Yeah. So there was my old mucker and mate, the, oh. you know, this chap that I'd worked with for eight years. He did the dirty on me. It just... You know, just after I'd taken over as managing uh, director, he all <laughs> all gone. <laughs> but I mean, not for a sum, not for a small sum. For a sum, you could have matched. So we couldn't have matched. Fair it, enough, yeah. you know. We could never have matched. Wow, it. the big guy buys out, buys yeah. out. You know. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so uh, I, I, but also at the same time, uh, I I hadn't I hadn't actually realised that. I mean, David and I, we'd, we'd go out for you know a long lunch and we'd. Do the things that one did in the seventies, have mm-hmm. long lunches with bottles of wine. Uh-huh. So yeah. What I hadn't realized is that David actually had a, a worse habit. Yeah. And it was a bit, it was uh, more than one or two. It was more than one or two drinks. Actually, it it became not really the drink, but yeah. it became the drugs. Yeah, yeah. And it was cocaine and and then heroin. Yeah. And by 1982, 83, uh, he'd lost everything. He'd lost everything. 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 He'd lost, oh. he'd lost his company. Oh. He'd lost his house. His house? Home. Oh, yeah. He'd lost everything. He'd lost everything. Lost his marriage. Lost absolutely everything. Oh. And he was living, he was living in, a, in, a, in, a, in a little uh, one-bedroom flat. I mean, it was just one room. Yeah. In Will's Court. And uh, and I'd never lost touch with him. I'd always remained friends. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's and, nice. um, he actually went to see an old colleague of mine at Ireland, Tom Hayes, I'm also great friends with. And uh, Tom uh, took him off to this rehab center in, uh, called Broadway Lodge. Broadway Lodge, yeah. Yeah, in Western Supermare. And the funny thing is, it's a scary red brick Victorian building on a kind of a bluff overlooking the bay. 
And, you know, Western Supermare, the bay, when the tide is out, is just black mud. It's forbidding. It's yeah. forbidding. Yeah. The address of this place yeah. is Totter Down Lane. Totter Down. Oh, gosh. Totter Down Lane. <laughs> so, um, so um uh, david david sadly uh had i mean he, he as i say he lost everything and, yeah uh, but he that's, went, a, that's a cold place to go to you yeah. know like back against yeah, the yeah. wall yeah but also that's when you see who not who cares because sometimes especially with addiction sometimes that that caring it's not about caring but sometimes people who who are addicts they don't realize that the people who do love them it can be quite overwhelming on them as mm. well so mm. You know they can find themselves in a in a very uh, lonely position. So yeah. when the people who do show their face in that time, yeah. uh, really kind of like uh, mean a lot. Yeah, you know. Well, I tell you what, I, I went to see him in uh, Broadway Lodge, and uh, I, I took him two hundred uh, two hundred cigarettes because he asked for fags. Two hundred, okay. uh, yeah. And uh, and he asked for something else, which I think cost me about twenty quid. I can't remember what it was, but it's not something, some sort of you, you know a treat. Yeah, I don't think it was chocolates, but something. Yeah, never got the money back. No, oh, never got the money. Back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. At any rate, so 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 that happened. But uh, so seventy six. But but actually, I just want to skip back a, a, a little yeah, bit uh, to to that earlier part to, to the beginning of the seventies when when I was still the marketing director and so on, because I think one of the things that I was most proud of uh, and and really supported Chris most in was Bob Marley and the Whalers. Oh, whoa. Legend. Absolute, absolute legend. Absolute legend. Yeah. And and Chris, uh, he Bob was actually signed to uh, to uh, CBS. Okay. And uh, But they didn't know. I, I just don't think they knew what to do with him. And so Chris took Bob from CBS, a sort of little sub-license thing. And he said to me, because I, I, you know, I was still doing the sleeves and so on, so I actually art-directed nice. the, the, first, the, the first of those Bob Marley, Seriously? Bob Marley sleeves. Yeah. Come and, on. And, and I got to know Bob uh, fairly well. Brilliant. And Chris said to me, this is a rock star, and we've got to treat him like a rock star. This is a guy who is going to be a huge star brilliant and people were saying we we were mad people were saying but you know jamaican i mean they just make you know reggae singles and yeah they come and go yeah. i mean whatever no, no, yeah and chris said no we we we're going to do this properly bit of vision and we're gonna we're gonna spend the money on the sleeves like we would on a roxy music or you know or free or, or that's what it Stevens. takes sometimes you know? yeah this is what we're going to do and uh, and there really were a lot of people in the industry saying, "No chance, you're mad, you're mad. What are you, what are you doing?" So we worked on it and worked on it. And Chris's vision was absolutely spot on. Spot on. Spot was on. it? Was it? Did you find that record initially? You know, the Bob initially a hard sell. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Because I mean, you know, Jamaican music was not. It, it was accepted. Jamaican music had a huge influence on the mods in this country. Yeah, it had had a huge influence, and then. Had an even bigger influence, arguably, on punk. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, you think of the Clash. The Clash were enormously influenced yeah. by Jamaican music. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was kind of all on the underground, and it was all you know. There were singles. There weren't. There, there wasn't a real proper yeah. album artist. Yeah. You know, it was all singles. And uh, I think Chris's vision that this man uh, was such a star 
that he saw it before it happened was just spot on. Yeah. And I remember we put him on at the Lyceum in Covent Garden. I mean, this was really his first major central London date. And we'd managed to get everybody down there. We'd managed to get all the press, all the radio people, you know, we got everybody down there. And um, Bob put on such a great show. <laughs> he put on such a great show. It was brilliant. It was so, so brilliant. <laughs> and of course, you know, a lot of those songs, No Woman, No Cry, et cetera. Oh, you know. oh. And we recorded that. Okay. And that became the Live of the Lyceum album. Brilliant. We recorded it. Yes. And but again, it wasn't it wasn't immediate, you know. I suspect it wasn't really until Exodus, oh, which yeah. was what about three albums later, that things really exploded. And all that time, Chris Blackwell was like, "Nope, I'm yeah. right." We push as if it yeah, was yeah. the best. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. See that? See people just see. You know, you think of Bob Marley, just that's it, legend. Period. Mm. Every mm. tune, great, obvious. Mm. Yeah. But it was. Hard sell from from, from you know it was, from, it was from the beginning. Sell. Yeah, it was a hard sell. And you were there. Mm, yeah, and yeah. and I and I, you know I think I look back on that and and I played a small part in it. You know, but it doesn't uh, matter. You were there. You went. You I, saw the whole yeah. uh, trajectory and how yeah. it took off and the hard work involved in getting yeah. something from, you know, from from no one believing yeah. to the whole world singing. Oh my gosh, yeah. this this is the greatest you know icon or yeah. one of the greatest icons. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. Wow. And the, the 70s were full of great artists. We had Grace Jones, of course. We, <sighs> had, we had other Jamaican artists, Burning Spear, yeah. uh, who were I iconic. They didn't yeah. have quite the success of, uh, of Bob. Yeah, Third World, uh, you know. Third World, yeah. Huge yeah. hit, um, and so on. So we had lots of that. And we still uh, had Cat uh, Stevens selling yeah. records, Steve Winwood selling records. And brilliant. So on and so forth. So it was a great time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in around about uh, 78, punk really took off. Yeah. And all of a sudden, uh, we were the uh, old record company. Yeah. We had rock stars who were just not part of the yeah. part of the you new. You had the right artists at the wrong time, yeah. all of a sudden. Flips yeah. on a coin. It's, like, it's almost like, you know, the, I don't know, the I pad not yeah. ipad the, what's it it's, it's almost yeah. like itunes bang yeah. itunes comes and then suddenly you know yeah. vinyl is now or cd yeah. or whatever is now yeah. no, no yeah. longer the the, the, yeah. the thing yeah. i think everyone has, faces that fate and being able to yeah. turn on a dime is uh is a hard thing yeah. especially when you're a company that big yeah yeah you know by that point uh, by that point yeah we were we were fairly big but yeah. um so it kind of but, just uh turned up on you guys then that you know the punk and you're like oh we, gosh this is uh that's not us yeah. we were <laughs> Yeah, we were out of, we were out of it. We, we so you just saw sales start, yeah, just dropping. And we hadn't signed. We hadn't signed. There was a point at which we 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 hadn't signed the right artists, but they weren't coming to us. They were going to stiff. Yeah, because <laughs> because if you're looking in, you're not going to say, you're, and you're a punk artist, you're not going to say, okay, well, I'm going to go, Bob Marley yeah. and Cat Stevens over there. I'm going to go there. Yeah, you, yeah. You're going to go, yeah. So. Yeah. It oh, just wasn't your time. It was the, it, it, exactly. kind of the end of that run, yeah. and you had to find the next yeah. thing. Okay. Oh, well, we did sign stiff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we, we kept our foot in the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, wow. Uh, but uh, uh, and you were still director at that time. I was still managing director. I was still managing director. I I, I stayed. At, uh, so 1979, Chris wanted to bring in somebody who he felt had financial nous. Okay. The thing was that Chris could spend money. 
Okay. And he wasn't terribly disciplined about it. He'd go and spend. Yeah. And so Chris had also started spending money on films. Whoa, diversifying. Uh, diversifying. And there was a point at which uh, he'd, he'd spent this money and uh, he'd somehow managed to divert all the royalties from Europe, well, from Germany in particular, to Nassau. Uh, and we were sitting there expecting a whole wadge of money to come in to pay the royalties to people like Roxy Music. Uh, and we couldn't. Oh. And I had to sit there with David Entov, and this was, you know, before he'd left, I had to sit there with David and explain that, you know, we were having a experience, experiencing a little cash flow problem. <laughs> experiencing, oh, yeah. wow, a little cash flow, that's huge. Yeah, and so, so the other reason, of course, why, why we hadn't signed anything was that I had no money to sign anything. I had uh, no money. I had no money for artists uh, uh, because Chris was doing all Yeah, doing stuff. other stuff. But yeah. with um, was this um, – once you became manager and director, yeah. David Entoven moved away from the company, well, right? Well, he, he moved away, but, but not, not immediately after I became MD. It was, it was 77, 78. He, okay, he, so there was still a year or so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in that year, and that's when you had to start explaining about that, the royalties. That's when I had to explain about So you were never going to match Polydor on that deal? Never, never. No chance? No chance. No chance. No, no chance. Ah. But we also, we, we, we weren't actually able to sign, uh, sign, especially, you know, hot artists that were, that were coming. And we couldn't have signed The Clash, for instance. We, 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 Just I mean, you didn't have the money? Didn't have the money. So, I tried to sign XTC. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, had a reasonable run. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Richard Branson just came in and... Snapped it up. Topped us. We got the money. Gone. Yeah. yeah. Ah. And, we, and we, we didn't really. D and the Nassau money never came back? Ever? Uh, no, or not while not, you were there anyway? No, not, not, not really, no. We no. had to. We, I mean, we had, we, had to, we had to. Figure out some stuff. Uh, we had to borrow money. And, and, and actually, Chris came back, uh, and this would have been about 77. Yeah. And I, I remember... Meeting him and he and he really did look. I mean, pale, worried. I'd, I'd never seen him like that. Yeah. We had this meeting and he and he, he said, you know, I just I don't know what to do, frankly. Anyway, the following morning he calls me up and he said, uh, listen, what we're going to have to do is do a licensing deal with EMI. And so we give up our independence. We we'll license everything. And we'll get a decent check. So we negotiated with my good old friend Tom Hayes, myself. Oh yeah, yeah. and we negotiated this deal. And it's first and Tom last. Tom Hayes was where? At Tom, AMI? Tom, Tom was uh, with us. Tom oh, he was with us. Tom, okay. Tom was okay. uh, my fellow director. Cool. And uh, and it's the probably the, the the first and certainly the last time I ever held a check for a million pounds. Okay. <laughs> so, that saved us. That saved us. Brilliant. So, we so got you licensed, licensed everything away. Yeah. No more independent company. Yeah. But, but it, was only for a, it was only a short period. So it was only a couple of years. And uh, oh, then it came back again. And it came back. And, oh, okay. And, and we became, so you got through that period. Yeah. Came, and we became independent. Meantime, Chris had got into his head that uh, he needed somebody that had what he felt was more financial uh nous nous maybe or discipline maybe or uh, an ability to control him 
And okay, so he realized that he was the that he he, he was the know, issue, yeah. kind of. He, okay. he realized in the realized financially, that. at least. Yeah, yeah, he realized that. Okay, and he sort of put it in a sense, you know, Tim, you've been with me, boy and man, and and he said, when you tell me to stop spending, I don't listen. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which is fair enough. Fair enough. It's a it's fair a fair enough. analogy. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, he hit on this fellow Martin Davis. Now Martin Davis had uh, he'd been a United Artist. Uh, he'd run his own company, Radar. I have to say, not that successfully, but yeah. uh, but he, he was sort of regarded as a you know a money man and yeah. able to able to uh, control finances and so on. And Chris decided that he was the man that he wanted. I thought that this was absolutely not the man okay. that we should have. And uh, he said, I'd like you to become a creative director and Martin to be managing director. And I said, Chris, uh, if, if you bring Martin in, I, I'm afraid I don't agree with that and I, I shall resign. Okay. So he changed his mind. Oh, so he valued your opinion then? At least, at least at that for, point. For, for that day. Yeah. <laughs> and then that happened four times during that year. Four. Four so times. you could see that he yeah. re he was pushing this idea. Okay. And then and then we got to November, and we were having a meeting, and it was a Friday evening. I remember clear as a bell what he said. He said, "Never let it be said that I can't make up my mind. Martin Davis is not coming in." Oh, okay. So I thought, well, great. I said, well, that's 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 cool. All right. so, because you know we're in a we're in a really good position now. There's no reason to bring somebody like that in. But I knew that Martin Davis was sitting down the end of the corridor. You knew. I, I knew that, and I knew, and and you know, Chris said, "Yeah, I'm going to tell Martin. I'm going to tell Martin. It's not going to happen." So okay. Saturday morning. This is, so that day's finished. That day's finished. Friday's okay. finished. Saturday morning, I get a call. It's Chris on the other end of the line. And it's Chris's small voice. Now you know, yeah. he has a, a range of a range of voices. This is the humble. Yeah, this is the humble this, voice. This is the humble voice. The mouse. Yeah. Hi, Tim. <laughs> and you're like, here we go. Here we Indeed. go. And he said, uh, "Are you doing anything this evening?" And I said, "Well, as as it happens, I'm not." He said, "Well, I'd fancy coming to dinner." Uh, and I said, "Sure." He said, um, I mean, do, you, do you mind if I bring Martin Davis? Uh, I said, Chris, look, I'll, I'll come to the dinner, <laughs> but you're not going to change my mind. Yeah. He said, this guy is not right for Island Records. Yeah. So you're not going to change my mind, but I'll come to the dinner. So I, we went to somewhere, some Chinese restaurant in, in, uh, in the Brompton Road. And uh, I knew that Chris would. Chris never carries money. You know, he's like the queen. He, he never carries <laughs> money, money. What's that? I've got too yeah. much of it. When you have a certain amount, you don't carry it. Exactly. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm buggered if I'm going to take anything. Yeah. So we got there. We had our meal. We, you know, we had a chat, and then the bill came. And Chris said, oh, "Tim, can I said, I haven't got anything." <laughs> <laughs> so Martin Davis had to pay for the meal. Yeah. <laughs> You knew that least, one. You were like, you, you're, a you're very, going to pay for this a very one. tiny point, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but at least it was a little satisfying. A little yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and so uh, Chris, Chris then uh, then uh, phoned me on Sunday and he said, "Look, I I, I really want to bring Martin in. I, I want you to remain as managing director. Uh, Martin will become chairman." I said, "Chris, he's wrong for the company, and I'll resign." 
Yeah. And he said, I really don't want you to do that. I said, Chris, I, I made it clear it's right, easiest, right yeah, from yeah. January that I resign. And so I resigned. Okay. Uh, you just had, or then, or you just yeah, that that was it. So okay. I, I mean, I stayed, I stayed through until uh, end January, yeah. just to kind of hand things over and everything else. And uh, in fact, I stayed a little bit uh, through January to you know to hand things over. Uh, uh, but then, then I left. Okay, and, and uh, you so that means then because you resigned, you didn't necessarily have a job waiting for you. No, no, I didn't. Okay. But I, but I think you made enough to not to, for for someone not to lock your clothes up in, in a room upstairs in some some. And yeah. I made and 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 you know and I owned my house and and so on. And not, I still had a mortgage, but I, but I, yeah, but you know you had a place to live. No one's kicking you out. Yeah, so. and I got a payoff. Um, it probably wasn't as much as I should have got. But <laughs> I got a payoff, and then I, I actually had an interest in a children's book publishing company, and so I I threw my thing into that. The book is still in yeah, there. Yeah, I still, it's still in there. It's still nice. in there. And um, but that was that was really run. It was set up by two friends of mine, and so there wasn't there wasn't really room for me to be in it full time. And I started importing wine from the Cote d'Iron. Nice. Uh, all these other periphery things, I, you know. All these uh, uh, yeah. peripheral things. Was uh, was David Enthoven still? On the periphery, or that he was on the side for now. You're just doing your thing. David, David was uh, David at that point. Uh, he, I mean, he uh, really was um, a drug addict. Okay, he was he, all right. Um, so the path was no artist at that point. No, he was just it was on the yeah, on, on the net. yeah. He'd oh, been he had been he had been cut out of his company, which you know which he owned, but he so he'd been pushed out and and paid off, and uh, and of course it all went on drugs. And so, I, I mean, I did a whole bunch of things through the 80s. Before you step back into music, then, how long were you out? Because this is Ireland, right? Uh, yes, yeah, so I left Ireland in January 1980. And then I did all these various things, including I had a spoken word company for a while. Oh, did you? Uh, come on. There we go. Yeah, but this I didn't, voice. No, come, oh, no, why I not? I know, I Tim, uh, the I voice. <laughs> the voice. But, oh. um, I, I did. Uh, the, the, the big, the major success I had yeah. was there was a book that came out of the Iraq war by a fellow called Andy McNabb. And he was an SAS man. Okay. He'd been captured by the Iraqis behind enemy lines. But it was the story of how he'd been on the run before he was captured. It's not Bravo to Zero. Bravo to Zero. Ah. Bravo to Zero. Nice. And uh, I did. So I did the spoke. I did that on uh, you know on cassette and CD. And uh, I think it's still the only the only spoken word cassette and CD that's got into the Music Week top ten. Is it? <laughs> yes. Look at that. <laughs> successes, successes. But it was it was it didn't make me a lot of money. But it but it was it, it was good to have on my CV. Yeah. And uh, and Andy, I, you know. So and, you you uh, was, published that? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Published published just the cassette and the CD. Okay. And and we had it. You should have recorded it. We had it advertised voice. on telly and everything. Brilliant. Book sales shot the, through the roof again. It had been ad- number one for goodness knows how long. So the advert, the TV advert. The TV advert that we did for the cassette and the CD. Yeah. Boom. Put the book sales right up the top again. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, nice. Nice for them, but not for oh, me. Oh, yeah, for not for you, yeah. I didn't make any money out of that. Ah. I mean, the cassette and the CD didn't do badly, but but really the books, the book sales were that was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Okay, but the funny thing, Andy McNabb was was it was the nicest one of the nicest guys you could wish to meet. I always said, 
Great guy for a killer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get on the wrong side of him. That's not a good you wouldn't, thing. Yeah. You wouldn't want to. Uh, so you did like all this stuff, or you know, mm, publishing, etc., etc. Yeah. For how many years? That was really um, kind of late eighties. So in the mid eighties, I get a call from Chris Blackwell. Oh, and Chris says, "Tim, I'm going to sell the record company." We're going to do a whole bunch of things. He said, I, I want to make this record company look like a real asset. Okay. And uh, he said, so we're going to build it up. We're going to have a great party. We're going to uh, do some compilation albums. We're going to, uh, we're going to do, uh, you know, the story of it, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you're the one that knows the history better than anybody. Fully. Uh, I'd like you to come back. And uh, help me with this uh, as a consultant, you know. And so I went back uh, for two years. I, I, I worked two or three days a week on the project. Okay. And actually, it probably saved my bacon because it gave me some money. Yeah, money was, yeah, okay. Yeah, money <laughs> when was. money was a bit scarce. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> did, you, did you look at other companies, though, when you first left? Or you just thought, I'm, I'm I, out of music, that's I, it? I, I, felt, I just felt that I'd done everything. You know, I'd, I'd, uh, in the punk era at the, end of, at the end of the 80s, I remember going to the Roxy Club. I think I was watching The Damned, and everybody was spitting at everybody else. Oh, gosh. <laughs> people spitting at people on the stage, but they were spitting at each other. <laughs> and I stood right at the back. I stood right at the back, and I just said, "That's what, not for me." What is this world coming? That's to? not what, for what? me. I mean, all the art, all the great artists that I'd seen in concert, and, and, it's and this people is what it's reduced spitting to: at each people other. spitting at each other. Uh, so, <laughs> time yeah, to take I'd, a break. I take a break. I I just thought, you know what? What? What more can I do? And and Richard Branson offered me a job, but. I wasn't going to work for him. I, I knew him a, a little too well because we distributed his records okay. in, in the 70s. So like who? who distributed? Virgin. Island Records distributed Virgin. Okay. Uh, in, in from so, and you knew him at, through that? Yeah, so I knew him, and I, I didn't feel that... Uh, it was, was the place for you to... Okay. No. Right. And I wanted to be independent. I didn't want to... You know, actually, having worked for Chris all that time, I thought... Sorry, I'm not going to work for anybody else ever again. I, yeah. I, you know, I would want to just plow my own furrow now. That's a, uh, anyone creative that all go through the same experience, <laughs> all go through the same experience, get to a point it's like, do you know what? I just don't want to be told to do something. I just want to do it and just, that's it. You know, right or wrong, I'll live with the consequences. You Everyone it. gets there, yeah. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Nail on the head. Yeah. yeah. So that was really my stance and I, I stuck to it fairly rigidly even when... By the late 80s, I'd, I'd run out of money again. <laughs> oh, wow. By then, it was no new ground to you, though. You're like, I've been here before. Oh, yeah. Just get this kick on. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. The worst thing was I'd bought my wife a new car, Ooh. a Fiat Tipo. Okay. <laughs> and me, we just had no money. To run it. Uh, no money to run it. And I said. Oh, going to have to get rid of the car, babe. You know, you've met Andrea. Yeah. I said, she's the sweetest girl. I said, we're going to have to sell it. And. Uh, you know, we, we will replace it, but it's going to have to be at the second hand. And so we sold it, and I got a really cheap Nissan. Yeah, which actually ran us ran for the next eight years. My daughter, my middle daughter, had it after us. Oh, brilliant! And uh, and it still kept running, even though it parked down by the Thames, it was flooded yeah. about three times. Still oh, kept wow. running. 
anyway, so late 80s, 90s, I'd still, as I said, still kept in touch with David. And in uh, 91, I, I popped along to see him, and he was back dabbling in bands, and he okay. s- started working for Brown Ferry. So kicked the habit then? Kicked the, oh, yeah, completely yep. clean. Good. Yeah, he, Good. Ki- he kicked the habit in, I think it was 74. Good. Came out clean in 74. Uh, sorry, 84, 84. And uh, he, he started, he didn't get back into music Im- immediately, but uh, I, I think Brown Ferry, Brown Ferry probably was the first to offer him a job. And uh, he took that, which is uh, because obviously everyone would have known his history. So that's yeah. a that's a nice move for someone to make yeah. to entrust him and say, "All right, yeah. I'm going to give you a shot here." Everyone yeah. needs a, a little hand sometimes. Yeah. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. And so I went to see David. I was actually doing a book because I I did have a book company uh, <laughs> going again. Like, it's good. But this was with a pal of mine, and we were doing things like uh, the history of Harvey's of Bristol, you know, the wine company. We'd okay. Do, we did a sandwich book for Madison's, the meat people. Right. Little uh, niches, niche books. Did, yeah, we did uh, with Carmel. We did a book on their fruit and veg and so on, recipe book, uh, and so on. So, And actually, they were quite lucrative. I mean, I wasn't certainly wasn't rich, but at least I was getting by. Yeah, that's those things. That's the small things in niches, they usually yeah. sell well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I had spoken to Chris, and with the idea of uh, doing just the island book of posters, I said a really simple concept, but we'd do a nice big book. Through your uh, publishing company? Yeah. And we'd do an island book of posters, and we'd get all of these really Great, iconic, iconic yeah. posters and put them in a book. That's a good look. And uh, and so I was doing that, and I'd actually, I actually uh, had popped into David to get uh, a couple of Roxy posters and King Crimson posters for this book. And that very day, talk about fate, Yeah, <laughs> that very, very day, he had lost the person that was sharing his office. It was a girl that was sort of managing various things. Yeah. They'd had a row. They'd okay. A row, and she'd walked out. And he was tearing his hair out, and he said, I can't afford this office. He said, but I can't go back home. Marin would kill me. I, I don't know what to do. Oh, man. Well, I had an office here in Shepherd's Bush, actually. Yeah. And my lease was coming to an end. I said, David, you know, what's the rent? I said, if I can afford it, I'll, and you like, I'll come and share. It's nice. So we had a chat, and uh, I said, well, I can just about afford it. And he said, well, well, brilliant. I said, David, okay, but I'll tell you one thing. If you think I'm getting into management, it <laughs> ain't going to happen. <laughs> Famous last words. Famous last words. <laughs> so, um, so how long did it take you to then, um, uh, after his comment, to, to then actually start working together management? It took about a year because I was still doing, uh, first of all, my spoken word stuff. I, oh, and I had, I still was doing the uh, the book thing with Island. Uh, no, the, well, I did the poster book, but I was still doing other recipe books and so on and so forth. But then, David, you know. It'd only be a matter of time. Yeah, charismatic dude. Very charismatic. Very. Crazy, yeah. We had a couple of artists walk in, and Brian Eno came to see us. And Brian Eno said, uh, you know, I need some help. David was still pretty busy with Brian Ferry, and so we, we started working on Brian Eno together. <laughs> <laughs> the gentle road in. Uh, yes. And Brian Eno is, I mean, the most wonderful guy, and certainly one of the most creative, but impossible to manage, because his ideas come hundreds a minute (laughs) 
and to get him to concentrate on one thing, you know, he'll be working on an album and he'll be going out, you'll get a deal, you know, and then he'll say, Oh, I've just been asked to produce the next U2 album. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to do that. I've got to go and do that. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. So um, we started to manage a couple of smaller artists. Officially? As in a duo? As in a duo, yeah. Okay. And then we got a call from Virgin. We got a call from Ashley Newton and Ray Cooper. Yeah. Ashley was the A&R director and Ray was the marketing director. They said, we got a young guy here who manages a band and he really needs some help. He recognizes he needs some help and he'd, he'd, he'd like to have you know somebody really experienced and he'd love to meet you. The band was Massive Attack. Oh. And the manager was Mark Pickin, still a good friend and still the manager of Massive Attack as it happens. Nice. And uh, Virgin actually paid us a decent amount of money to help Mark learn the ropes, so to speak. On a consultancy basis, we co-managed uh, Massive Attack for the next 18 months. That's cool. And I think, uh, arguably, we put them on the road. They were, you know, DJs and so on. They, they weren't a live band. But on the other hand, they had artists singing with them that were. I mean, yeah. Horace Andy. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, uh, who, of course, is this wonderful Jamaican artist, as you know. And so we persuaded them that they actually, they had to do a tour, they had to go on the road, they'd had a, a lot of recorded you know, success with, with their music, but they hadn't actually toured. And I can remember uh, sitting in this little cafe in Kensington Park Road, one of those trendy cafes, I think it's gone now, but in Notting Hill. And um, there was the three guys, so 3D, Mushroom, and Daddy G. <laughs> and we were sitting there, Discussing the tour, the tour was all, I mean, it, it wasn't just coming together. It actually been booked. That started on rehearsals and so on. And Daddy G, who's this big, tall fella, you know, quite forbidding. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Tim, we, we've, been, we've been talking, we've been discussing. He said, um, he said we don't think we're ready for touring. We, we, don't, we don't think we can do this. Oh, no. And... You know I don't often raise my voice. <laughs> Hardly ever. Because I think it's just permanently quite loud anyway. So I, there's no need to raise it. Oh, you raised it, yeah? I slammed my fist down <laughs> on the table. I, I went, nonsense! Because <laughs> I don't swear a lot either, as you know. <laughs> I said, absolute nonsense! <laughs> and... <laughs> Daddy G was sitting on the end of the sort of sofa-like, bench-like thing. <laughs> he fell off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, got, he got back up. And, so, and of course, he then was convulsed with laughter. But they, I mean, not because they were joking. They hadn't been joking. Oh, Just because you raised they, your voice. They were serious, but because I'd done this... <laughs> And um, they said, oh, okay, okay, all right, but we, we, we'll we, do it. We'll do it. it we, we, we think that this is the right decision by your reaction. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, then they became one of the great touring bands. Yeah, huge, yeah. One of the Look great, at that. They took to bands. it like a duck to yeah. water. Yeah, yeah. And, and after, after we'd ended, actually, our relationship with Mark, because Mark then took over, as, as was always the plan, but we continued to manage uh, Horace, 
partly because I was the only one that understood him. Because, <laughs> because he had, you know, he, spoke, he had this great Jamaican accent. And you spent and your that, whole life, basically, <laughs> well, that's around that, all the, all selling the six, records. All the 60s so, yeah. and 70s, talking to these guys. Yeah, yeah. So I understood him. Fine, yeah. <laughs> see, your upbringing <laughs> comes to your rescue again. again. You see that? Uh, and what a, what a lovely man. And what a singer. What a singer. Yeah, yeah. And I think when Horace started singing this whole presence became sort of angelic the eyes the everything it was just brilliant so extraordinary so yeah. extraordinary he's so loved doing it anyway so that was dear old horace and of course with massive attack suddenly david and i from being a couple of old farts you know <laughs> we'd walk into record companies and and of course you have to if you've got a, an artist to sign you can't we knew all the top dogs, but they didn't sign artists. You, you know, yeah. it was, they still the, the people with the, it's the people with the ear to the ground. Yeah, yeah, that 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 were giving them the confidence to sign Absolutely. stuff, not necessarily them. Yeah, yeah. So we'd have to go and see these young guys, and you could you could see the look on their faces. I'm not these two old farts again. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, you know what? Like all these conversations that I've been having, that's what I've been really enjoying. With you, you see clearly why certain people have certain jobs and why they've got to certain places. And it's all been graft across mm. the board. It's been graft, you know, a bit of luck here and there, but it mm. really has been uh, being uh, proactive yeah. and just grabbing opportunities. But it really has been starting from yeah. from zero, yeah, and getting somewhere. So it's uh, it's it's been really really cool. Yeah, you don't you, uh, and it's very you don't hard. just luck very, it. You don't just luck it. You don't luck it, and you you have to you have to be aware of opportunities. I've said uh, along the way, you know, fate. Uh, happenstance, etc. But if you're not aware of what's going on around you, you miss those chances. So you've got to be very aware. You've got to be aware of the opportunities. Then when they happen, you grab them. Seize the uh, moment. Carpe diem. Yeah, some people, some people just don't have that awareness. They, they don't. They're not there spotting things. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was fortunate in that respect to to at least be aware of what was going on around me and to spot opportunities. Yeah. But of course, the massive attack connection led almost directly to Robbie Williams, a uh, big uh, dude. Yeah, because he 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 was with Take That, and then I, I believe he had a kind of a break, isn't it? Yeah. He split from them in in bad odor. Yeah, <laughs> in bad and, odor. <laughs> and he went through a couple of managers. Pretty pretty. Um, oh, there are uh, a few. Okay. There were two. Uh, there was a, a a pretty odious minor Manchester gangster. Okay, all right. Uh, who kind of ripped him off. Oh. I mean, he'd left him, uh, but then he went to another chap who was essentially a cocaine runner for um, a okay. number of artists. Okay. And uh, he, he fell in with him. Okay. Uh, and that's when he came to see us, and we had to get him out of that management deal. Yeah. But he came to see us, and, and as he said it, he was sitting there with this chap, and they were in the East End somewhere sitting in his car, and they had both been taking cocaine. And Rob is nothing if not very, very aware of everything that goes on. So they were both stoned, coked. And Rob, as he told it to uh, David and I, he said, he said, I was sitting there. And he said, he's my manager. <laughs> and he's taking all this coke 
with me. Surely, shouldn't the, <laughs> the manager be trying to stop me? <laughs> <laughs> a eureka moment, like ah, uh, this, yeah, this might not be the right combo. I think this is a friend. Yeah, he's not. He's not a manager. He's a mate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah. so then his his uh, Rob's accountant at the time was also uh, Brian Ferry's accountant, and uh, Rob asked the accountant, you know. Mm-hmm. Any, any idea? So this fella uh, sent him to us. Rob was also a fan of 3D and knew 3D and admired 3D. And he asked 3D, and 3D said, you should, you should go and see uh, Tim and David. And, and so he, he came to us. He came to our office. Well, now he'd been partying like mad. He'd be, God, he'd been partying. <laughs> And, As you uh, did. Uh, yeah, and he was, he was a bit overweight, it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. But he walked into the office, and you know he had that presence. He's got a massive presence, yeah. Yeah, he really had that presence. Yeah. And, and so we, 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 we sat there. We had, a, we had this sort of big dentist chair in the office at the time. Okay. And, just because? An, an old, old-fashioned one, but, you know. Yeah. And he just went and immediately sat in it. You know, he took control. Yeah. And uh, we we chatted and we chatted and and we said to him as David and I always did we said well listen you got you got to talk to other people you know don't just take what we've said yeah. and uh, and he said and let's let's meet again so he phoned us about a week later and he said listen I'd, I'd like to talk again he said why don't you come to my flat next time his flat was over in Maida Vale and we walked in. He'd been partying. <laughs> the flat reeked. It reeked of tobacco, stale booze, and so on. And there he was, yeah. still overweight, yeah. still with a remarkable presence. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he obviously he was obviously yeah. n- not yeah. uh, not in not in season. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And we chatted, and we chatted, and we chatted, and David and I sort of, you know, glanced at each other and thought, "Where the hell is this going?" I mean, yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. nothing we've got here. the we've got the racehorse, but like <laughs> yeah. I said, he's out of season, so yeah. we're going to have to get him in season before he could. Yeah, yeah. Good analogy. Yeah. Anyway, he suddenly said, "Would you like to hear some of my poetry?" Okay. And David and I said, we sort of shrugged our shoulders. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> His first his first poem was "Dear Sir," which is on the first album. Yeah, and it was so good. It was it was so so good. He just read them to you, or he be- he didn't have to read them. He just oh, he just he, gave it to you and you read yeah, them. Yeah, okay, I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. He just recited them straight okay, off. Nice. Uh, and of course, they absolutely touched a spot. Yeah, I think David and I said almost at one. It was really quite extraordinary. Almost at one, we said, "If you can do that, you can write songs." And we've got to make that possible for you. He wasn't writing songs at that point? He'd been writing songs, but nobody had been... No, it, uh, the reason he left Take That was that nobody had taken him seriously. I see, it's the confidence thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this came up in a different conversation that I've had of um, what confidence does. Like, mm. you know, every artist experiences, I've experienced it before, where you know what, you know the ability, you know your capacity, you know the mm. capacity you have, mm. and you know you have the capacity to outdo what people's perception of you is mm. however confidence plays a lot in on anyone's mind so if if someone if you feel like you're you've been given the confidence or that you have the confidence mm. you can push the barrier yeah. when you once you get on the road of lacking confidence yeah. you can go through a through a period where it's just it, it's hard because you you just don't have that confidence yeah. and you have to find your way to to then latching onto a few things that bring you that confidence again and then you can get your you know whatever run or whatever it is yeah. so i think like what you're explaining there sounds like 
he knew what's there, mm. but your confidence can get beaten down to where you think, oh, well, this is just a bunch of poems and da da da, da until someone comes in and says, yo, these these could be the songs. And then you you kind of believe it, but you're not sure. And, you know, you work yourself back to confidence. And mm. confidence is very separate to talent, which is very so separate to, you know, whatever, you know, aura or presence you have. Yeah. That, that confidence thing is, uh, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a big thing. It, it, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and again, just to flip back. Yeah. 1980, my confidence completely left me. Okay. I, I was, I was just, I, I, I mean, I'd really lost everything. Okay. Uh, because although I'd resigned, I, I felt that I'd been pushed. Yes. And and you know, I was like, I, I'd really lost. You. That's when you you question a lot of things. You question yeah. your decision. You question yeah. why they didn't have the faith. They gave you the faith to yeah. take that job. So now you. You know, as much as you like, you say you did resign. Yeah. You're thinking, oh, but it's a reflection. It can feel like a reflection on you. Yeah. So again, everyone gets to that point at some point, but mm. it's working out how to get back, which is the yeah. is the is the yeah. key. Yeah. And it and uh, you know sometimes these, these are really necessary things to to you know to to learn the lessons of life. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, boy, yeah. did I did I learn it? <laughs> uh, you, you'll be pleased to hear that. Um, uh, nobody really suspected because I still had the voice. <laughs> <laughs> deceptions, deceptions. I like that. <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, David and I didn't know. All we knew of Rob was that he was part of this boy band. Yeah. And David and I were just not part of that yeah. scene. You know, yeah. David. That's and completely I, away from what. You, yeah. I, the names I mean, that you've been saying is completely different. Yeah, we had artists that we had artists that knew what they wanted knew what they uh, we we didn't create artists yeah. we uh, we helped artists achieve what they wanted but but knowing what they already had to do creatively yeah. you know Brian, Brian Ferry was already writing his sort of songs yeah uh, as was Bob Marley you know the, the we we didn't what we did was to give them the wherewithal, yeah, uh, yeah, to make sure that they had the right deals, to yeah. make sure that their distribution was great, to make you know, yeah, to to build a team around them, pluggers, promoters, and so on, all of that sort of stuff, yeah, that an artist needs to get along, yeah. That's what that's what we were good at, but we, I mean, we we wouldn't have we wouldn't have gone around creating a boy band. We yeah. wouldn't have known how to. Yeah, it's not your song. So that's what we. That's what our thing was with Rob. We and so we really didn't know actually what we were going to be able to do with him because we thought, well, he's from a boy band. Um, but when we heard those poems, we knew. A good song's a good song. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he can do this, he can do this. Right. So once we agreed to take him on, and once he agreed to take us on, I yeah, should say, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. because, you it's know. A mutual, it's a mutual yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. We then knew that we had to really find somebody that was going to help him Achieve turn those that, that, that poetry and that yeah. skill into yeah. the big yeah. songs that yeah. a lot of people, well, we all know now. So yeah, yeah, because he wasn't a, a musician in the sense of being able to play, play instruments and so on. Of course, arguably, he was such a great singer that that's yeah. that's that's musicianship in itself, yeah, isn't exactly. it? As, yeah. as you will yeah, know, definitely, definitely. But we were suddenly inundated with cassettes, tapes from all sorts of publishers and songwriters okay. and this Oh, you put out the word that, look, we're making yeah. an album, and yeah. then yeah. the songs come in. Yeah. yeah, right. There was one guy who, guy, there was one guy called Guy, okay, uh, who came to us uh, from three different directions. So he was signed to a publishing company, to BMG, 
which is run by a friend of mine, Paul Curran. His band had been the Lemon Trees, which had been signed to a, a, a label that David Betridge had set up, my old okay, yeah, yeah, MD, yeah. which sadly didn't do very well, but, uh, but Guy had been signed to him. And then Chris Briggs knew him pretty well. And so this, this name kept bobbing up. Paul Curran sent us the tape, actually, and said, you should listen to this. And so we listened. And we arranged for Rob and Guy to meet. They hit it off immediately. And in their first writing session, they actually wrote Angels. In the first writing session? Let me entertain you. Oh, whoa. And one other big one. In the first writing <laughs> session? The first writing session, yeah. That's a yeah. match made in heaven right there. That was a match made in heaven. Jeez. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is, the thing is, is that Rob, Rob had such energy, such pizzazz. And you'll know, if you know any of his work, the songs are all about him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the songs are all about it, but yeah. particularly uh, those, those first few albums. Yeah, and, yeah. and particularly the first and the second. Yeah. And, and in fact, the first and the second, the, 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 the songs are an awful lot about his relationship with Take That. I mean, and some of them okay. are absolutely Cutting. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, you really wouldn't want to be Gary Barlow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, listen to these songs. Do you know what? It goes back to what you were saying about Catholic angst. Yeah. You know, you've got to have some, you've got to be honest. You've got to have yeah. some, talk about your pain, talk about your joy, talk about it all. Mm. But the ones that connect and are very yeah. true are those ones with that bit of angst yeah. because people. Because the reality is, I think everyone goes through the same thing in life. Mm. Everyone wants the same thing, a bit of happiness, some shelter, yeah. and everyone goes through a bit of pain. So yeah. any way that they can let it out or listen to things that mm. make them relate to it and make them get through what they're getting through somehow, yeah. uh, it's a stronger bond, a stronger connection. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Of course, Rob is a Catholic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With a lot of angst. <laughs> I like it. Oh, my gosh. So, so that, was, that, that, of course, was for David and I, uh, signing Rob was was huge really our breakthrough. Yeah. yeah, and we had, and we have had uh, such a brilliant time yeah. with him. Yeah, uh, he is a remarkable man. He is a remarkable talent. Definitely, he is unquestionably one of the greatest entertainers to ever have trod the boards. Definitely, but also, he's a gentleman. I think he's only ever once raised his voice at me probably because I was doing something particularly crass at the time. <laughs> or maybe I was trying to persuade him to do something he really, really? didn't want to oh, do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it has been a remarkable relationship. And I, and I know that uh, Rob would pay David an awful lot of respect for the role that he played because David, of course, having been an addict, yeah. uh, knew how to handle, handle him. Yeah. Uh, Rob. And, you know, Rob, as his is very well known as he's talked about a, a great deal rob rob did get into cocaine and and uh, and, and drugs and um and there's no better person than david to yeah someone to, who's gone through the yeah. fire can also talk yeah. to you and also sometimes it's not even just about the advice like you said it's not about the advice it's about where the advice is coming from yeah. so when you know someone's walked your path yeah and then they're talking to you about you know look i've got I've come through it, so you know the, yeah. the the conversation and the bond will be um yeah will be that cool. I've always yeah. wondered, you know, which we, you've you've told me already, but I've mm. always wondered uh, because your character and David's on the surface mm. 
is very yin and yang. Mm. But I've seen with uh, with a number of people, A and Rs, uh, managers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the person usually is the yang, mm. yang to their yin. You know, so you know, yeah. I think it's a it's a really great com- combination, and it's proved yeah. itself over time, obviously. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So okay. So now you're here. All that's passed. Yeah. Mm. Time has passed. Um. And here you are. I.E. Music. Yeah. Looking forward for you. Mm. Are you happy just sticking along now, or do you feel you know that the the landscape is really really changing now? It's changing hugely. Obviously, Robbie has done what he's done. You have other artists in your stable. You're looking forward as a company. Uh, what what's your take on on where things are going? Like just forward, it's uh, yeah. it's very uncertain times. Very uncertain times. And um, I've worked with artists now for such a long time, and uh, I would like to see the world return to some sort of normality. I would like to see our artists flourish in the way that they should be and in the way that they can't be at the moment. yeah, I'd like to see Rob back on the road. He can't be at the moment. Neck deep, passenger, all of our artists, I'd like to see them really doing what they were born to do. Yeah, the road. What, what you were born to do. Yeah, being um, in front of people. Yeah. Performing. That's, uh, performing, exactly. That's gone right now, yeah. Yeah. And are we having a tough time? Yeah, we are. We, I've, I've, I've sadly had to make uh, you know seven people redundant. And that that's an incredibly tough thing to do. Yeah. But of course, it's either that or it it all goes. And so these are hard, hard decisions. I'm I'm delighted to say that we've managed to get four of those people into other jobs. So brilliant. That's good. So, that's a good look. Yeah, we've we've done that. We've achieved that. But uh, I want to. I I I don't want to have to see artists. Going back to those bad old days of the 50s and 60s when they didn't own their rights, where the deals were heinous and so on. Sadly, there are still deals out there that are heinous. I, yeah. I see them coming across the desk at me wow. for, for, for young artists. Uh, and some of them really are heinous. And, and we, we've got to change that. We've, yeah. we've got to change that. And I, I feel that that's a, a battle I want to be a part of still. Yeah. Uh, of course, I'm I'm 75 now, so... No, you're not. <laughs> 57. Stop lying. 57. I can see those biceps lying. <laughs> uh, I think you must be wearing dark glasses. Uh, so, um, uh, I, 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 I'd like to, I, I'd like to continue to, uh, to do just that. I don't want to retire. Yeah. I, I don't want to give up. Um, uh, but of course, uh, it just could be that my colleagues here will will, will make the decision for me. Uh, say, take over the hey, helm. Huh? Yeah. And, and you really need to be put out to grass. No. You know, I mean, what? You can't remember that? You can't remember that? You can't remember the other thing? <laughs> I just said it 15 minutes ago. What's going on? <laughs> Oh wow! Oh wow! All right. So, two two final questions. Number one: mm. This whole career that you've mm. had so far. Mm. What position has been your favorite? Uh, undoubtedly, under, although I had extraordinary times at Ireland, and I've had, uh, I, I mean, I moved to the country. I bought a lovely country house and yep. uh, in in uh, on the edge of the forest of Dean. That that nice. that, that, that was that was brilliant. And uh, have we got time for a very quick one? Yeah, so, of course. So my my mother really was the person that encouraged me to read. Yeah. And what what was she encouraging me to read? Well, it was Jane Austen. 
Okay. <laughs> a George Eliot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I was reading in the bush in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing could be more different. Yeah, yeah. From my circumstances there and what I was reading. Yeah, geez. And when I came here, I always had this vision of an English idyll. Okay. <laughs> of the country, of farmers and farmland, of rosy-cheeked young maidens milking cows. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck finding that. <laughs> it's all given to It's all bloody Jane Austen's fault. And so I had this view of, you know, moving to the country. And yeah. we did. We moved to the country. And, uh, and, and we had the most beautiful house imaginable. Oh, oh nice. Um, uh, uh, but uh, it, it, four years. Four years. We lasted four years. And we, you're like, no, this is not why I went. Back to London. Back to London. <laughs> need some of those, those busy people that scared yeah, yeah. me in the first place. I need yeah, some yeah. of that. Yeah. Right, cool. So, so, um, I, I, so to answer your question, yeah, undoubtedly, the most extraordinary time has been my time with David Antoven yeah. at IE, yeah, and managing Robbie Williams, yeah, yeah. It Management is the is yeah, the. It has been the most extraordinary time, and do you know that? Uh, well, I said that uh, Robbie had only raised his voice at me once, but do you know? <laughs> that David and I, in all of our time together at IE, only ever had one row. One? One row, yeah. What was that about? I was t taking the Michael out of him, yeah. and I alluded to masturbation. <laughs> and I don't know, it must have touched a sore spot because he... Flipped <laughs> out. He became very angry. <laughs> <laughs> but you see the key how long did that uh, that uh, annoyance last like how long a, a, a day a week a, a, a oh, few no, hours no, no, a couple of hours guys yeah, all right it's minor <laughs> one minor argument that is minor yeah no it's it's incredible you yeah. know we 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 really we really didn't match made in heaven that is yeah, yeah. brilliant yeah. Well, Tim, <laughs> this has been so so good. This might have to be a two-parter. Like I think, like seriously, the your your beginning and your not end your your now has been so um, different. Yeah, you know. But I love the I love the fact that at the beginning you spoke about love. You said that your parents brought you up with love at the center of things. Mm, and I think that's what so. you've uh, approached uh, your life with. And I think that it's funny that you've said. Uh, management has been your most fulfilling role because I think the way you approached Robbie with love mm. um, has also held true to what where you started with. So again, you know, just, I don't know, thank you. I think it's a great opportunity to sit uh, down and talk to people with a lot of knowledge mm. and really uh, see that you, you deserve that you deserve you and David uh, deserve everything that's come your way. So, um, Oh, thank you. Yeah, Thank you. brilliant. Thanks. Great. And, well, I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. But then who wouldn't enjoy sitting here talking about oneself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>brilliant stuff i learned a lot from that one thank you so much for listening today if you like today's show please do subscribe if you could take a moment to rate this podcast on itunes as well that would be great i appreciate you and your time if you've got any questions or suggestions for the show or for me myself please do feel free to email me it's lamar at the lamar show.com that's lamar l-e-m-a-r at the lamar show.com uh, if you're an artist or a musician and you need some advice please do feel free all right you will hear from me in a fortnight my friends peace